and welcome to our latest Herbert Smith Three Hills on the Horizon podcast. My name's Antonia Kirkby and I'm joined today by my colleagues Sarah Hawes and Isabel Hoyle. In these podcasts, we discuss some of the material developments in corporate law and regulation that we're expecting to see in the next six to 12 months. And we focus in particular on those to be relevant to listed companies. And we look at what they need to do as a result of or even in anticipation of these developments. And at the end of 2023, we definitely saw an end of year flurry from the government and the FCA. So, Isabel, should we start with you and the reform of Companies House? Um, We've talked about this in previous episodes, but can you give us a quick recap of what's being proposed and where the reforms have got to? Thanks, Antonia. So the reform of Companies House hit a huge milestone this year, um, towards the end of the year, with the Act containing the proposals for reform, that's the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Act, the ECCTA, receiving royal assent on the 26th of October. So it's squeezed in right before the end of the previous parliamentary session. And it's part of the government's drive to increase transparency in relation to the ownership of assets in the UK and to make it harder to use the UK and systems in the UK for carrying on illicit or criminal activities. And it follows the adoption of the Economic Crime Transparency and Enforcement Act in the spring of last year, which was expedited through Parliament in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine. And that act, the one that was passed last year, created the Register of Overseas Entities, which increased the level of transparency in relation to the ownership of real estate assets in the UK. What this act does the ECCTA, is increase the level of transparency in relation to the information uh, around companies and gives enhanced powers to Companies House as the agency of the government responsible for keeping the public register of companies. So in terms of the uh, the company's house reform. This has been a sort of quite a long consultation process. It started back in 2019. It was then followed by three consultation processes, uh, sorry, consultation papers in 2020 on various different aspects, and that culminated in the publication of a white paper uh, by the government uh, last February, February 2022, which set out its plans for reform. The areas covered by the law, but the areas of law covered um, in the ECTA are sort of varied. So we have uh, changes to the limited partnerships. We have reform of companies house itself. We have corporate criminal liability changes. And we have some changes to the register of overseas entities building on the act from last year. The act is very much a framework act um, and it sort of sets out what will be changed. Very little of it actually is currently enforced. The vast majority of the provisions will be brought in force through various commencement orders and existing companies will have uh, a sort of transitional period to get uh, to grips with these changes. So, as I say, the Act was uh, the bill was introduced into Parliament in September 2022 and then received royal assent in um, October this year. And Cummings House has been given a uh, new statutory objectives under the Act designed to enhance the integrity and the accuracy of the information filed at Companies House. So these objectives in, include ensuring the information held at Companies House is accurate and complete, ensuring that Companies House records don't create a false or misleading impression on the public. And to achieve these objectives, Companies House has given, been given a very broad range of powers, so the power to sort of query filings and to request more information, the, the power not to accept filings, and ultimately, if it's not satisfied, it can reject the information submitted for filing. And where inf- information has been accepted in the past, Companies House will have a much greater power going forward to remove material than it previously had, and to do so much more swiftly, 
even if the filing of that information had legal consequences. I think the countries themselves, what will be a very big change, will be the requirement for um, all directors, all persons with significant control, and anyone filing information on behalf of the company with Companies House to have their identity verified. Um, and it will be, uh, we think, a digital verification process, is very quick and easy. So you upload an ID documentation, so your passport and a photo, those will be verified digitally and you'll be away. Obviously, there'll need to be a process for those people who can't do their ID verification digitally. And it will be a huge process, given the number, a huge number of existing individuals who will fall within the scope of the identification verification requirements. Any director who is in post who isn't verified once the provisions are in force and any companies with an unverified director uh, appointed will be committing an offence. And in relation to offences, uh, Companies House, as an alternative to bringing criminal proceedings, will have greater power to impose civil financial penalties uh, for any relevant offences, including most breaches of the Companies Act. So that really is quite a significant reform and will give a lot of teeth to these reforms and these new powers being given to Companies House. Thanks, Isabel. And Sarah, if we come to you now, the ECCT Act also makes changes to corporate criminal liability. Could you talk us through those, please? Yes. Uh, thanks, Antonia. So the two changes to corporate criminal liability are the sort of second big thing in the Act that are of interest to corporate lawyers and the reason that it took a lot longer to get through Parliament than we had anticipated. Now, look, I won't go over all of the background to these new provisions again. You know, the lack of criminal prosecution of companies, particularly arising from the global financial crisis and the Law Commission report and its, you know, 10 or 11 options for reform. I covered that in quite a lot of detail in our last roundup edition in June. So what I'll recap today is the final form of the provisions and implementation timing. So change number one. Under the new failure to prevent fraud corporate offence, an organisation will be strictly liable if a specified fraud offence is committed by an employee agent subsidiary with the intention of benefiting the organisation or any of its customers and the organisation did not have reasonable fraud prevention procedures in place. Now, a list of the specified fraud and false accounting offences is set out in the back of the ECCTA, and it includes, for example, cheating the public revenue, uh, false accounting and false statements by company directors. And the Secretary of State is empowered to amend that list of specified offences by regulations in the future. So who does the offence apply to? Well, the offence applies to all large companies, LLPs and partnerships including those incorporated outside the UK. And it's this size threshold for the offence, which is actually the final point of major debate as the ECCT bill ping-ponged between the Commons and the Lords in September and October this year. Uh, And the offence can be punished by an unlimited fine. Now, the government has to issue statutory guidance on what amounts to reasonable fraud prevention procedures, and we expect to see a draft of that guidance early in 2024. Now, I think it's useful when we talk about this new offence to give a a couple of examples. Uh, I mean, these are quite easy and straightforward examples, but I think it helps put it into context. So you've got an employee who is committing fraud by mis-selling a product. Now, ultimately, they're doing it to sell more products so that they get a bigger bonus. But of course, the company also benefits from the increase in sales. So if we assume that the individual was an associated person, etc., etc., um, that would be an absolute slam dunk for the new strict liability offence, subject, of course, to the defence of demonstrating reasonable fraud prevention procedures. To give a different example, 
Um, so we've got an employee who's committing fraud by fiddling their expenses. Now, in that situation, while the employee clearly benefits, um, the company is actually the victim of that fraud. So there wouldn't be the failure to prevent fraud offence triggered. Now, we don't yet have visibility on exactly when this new offence will come into force. It may be 12 or 18 months away because the government has got to consult upon that statutory guidance first. On then to change number two. So the government is also using the ECTA to significantly reform the so-called identification principle for certain economic crimes. Again, intending to make it easier to prosecute companies for the in-scope economic crime offences, uh, particularly large companies with complex management structures. Now, of course, a company can come currently be criminally liable for the acts of its officers or employees. However, under the common law identification principle, for many offences, including fraud, it will only be the case if a prosecutor can identify an individual or individuals whose conduct and state of mind can be attributed to the company such that they represent the company's directing mind and will. Now, particularly in a large organisation, senior people who have decision making powers in respect of pretty substantial areas of the business have often been considered still not sufficiently controlling to hold the company liable. Therefore, the relevant provisions in the ECCTA place the identification doctrine on a statutory footing for economic crimes and then will be imposing criminal liability on body corporates and partnerships for economic crime offences committed by their senior managers. Now, the definition of senior manager in the ECCTA replicates the definition in the Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act 2007. And what it does is it looks at the senior manager's roles and responsibilities within the organisation rather than any job title. And it specifically includes a person who plays a significant role in the making of decisions about the whole or a substantial part of the activities of the body corporate. Now, this new statutory attribution test applies only to the specific economic crimes set out in another schedule to the ECCTA. Uh, in addition to the you know, common law offences of cheating the public revenue, conspiracy to fraud, uh, the list also includes fraudulent trading, misleading statements, uh, theft, false accounting, false statements by directors and fraud under the Fraud Act. And if convicted, a company could be subject to an unlimited fine. And that would be in addition to any sentence imposed upon the individuals who are also found guilty of the same offences. Now, this provision is coming into force on the 26th of December. Uh, it might not, though, be the end of the story on corporate criminal liability. Uh, you may have noticed that the Criminal Justice Bill, which was well trumpeted in the King's speech uh, laid in Parliament just a couple of weeks ago. Well, that bill contains lots of changes around criminal sentencing. So the uh, compelling attendance at sentencing hearings, imposing longer sentences for grooming. But buried in the back of that bill is also an extension of this reform to the identification doctrine to all criminal acts. So if that bill passes in its current form, it won't just be the current relevant fraud and economic crimes in scope. Actually, this re reform to the identification doctrine will be expanded to all offences that companies can commit. So a, a bit of a watch this space. This might not be the end of the story, Antonia, on corporate criminal liability. Thank you, Sarah. So it sounds like that's another one we'll be coming back to in future episodes. Um, 
And Isabel, if we come back to you. Uh, so again, we've talked in a previous episode about the FLC consultation on the UK Corporate Governance Code, but we've actually seen quite a bit of change since we last discussed it. So can you tell us where, what the latest position is, please? Thanks. Yeah, I think uh, that we all thought that we knew where we were going on audit and corporate governance reform. And I, thought, I think we all thought that we were nearing the final destination. After all, we've been discussing this for a number of years. I mean, going back to the high profile corporate collapses of you know, BHS, Carillion, etc. Um, and, and those collapses really driving a desire to see if there was any um, weaknesses in the system that could be addressed to lessen the risk of future corporate failures. So we had the Kingman, the Bridman Review, the review by the CMA, and that all culminated in the government's white paper in March 2021. And then its response to that white paper in May 2022, setting out this framework to take forward 150 uh, recommendations and the proposals for reform where we expected to see change were across the board, you know, primary and secondary legislation, changes the governance code, change the guidance. So a really broad scope of reform to tackle the issues perceived to exist throughout the governance and audit landscape, you know, from the rumour to the FRC and the creation of its replacement, the Audit and Reporting and Governance Authority, uh, through to new reporting and disclosure requirements for companies, looking at changes to the audit market to address the concentration of um, choice there, and then through to student supervision and enforcement. But that's where we thought we were. And things have uh, changed quite significantly and the scope of reform has been significantly rode back. So how did we get from these reforms announced in May 2022 to so few of the proposals, reform, uh, uh, so few of the uh, proposals remaining? Because back in May this year, the FRC put out its consultation paper um, on the changes within its scope to, to the changes that it could make following the government's um, confirmation of the proposals to be taken forward. And it had a very long consultation process and encouraged uh, engagement by stakeholders. And whilst that consultation process was ongoing, the government laid its secondary legislation in Parliament to implement the reporting changes. So these were the new reporting requirements in relation to the audit and assurance policy, the resilience statement, material fraud statement. You know, we've covered this, covered this in the past. But then quite suddenly in October this year, those um that secondary legislation was withdrawn from Parliament. And at the time of the withdrawal, the government said um, that uh, in the light of comments received from a call for evidence that it had run over the summer on narrative reporting, the concerns had been raised in relation to the uh, additional uh, introduction of additional requirements in relation to corporate reporting and additional burdens being placed on companies. The government said it was still committed to reform and still committed to the creation of Arga. But then we had the King's speech in November, and in there there was no primary legislation to create Arga, there was no audit reform bill. And following uh, the King's speech, the FRC put out its statement, uh, a new policy update, noting the King's speech and, and the lack of um, a bill, uh, primary legislation to create Arga, uh, and saying that it was going to sort of row back on the proposals that it had put in its own consultation in May. Um, it's it said it was taking light of the wider debate about competitiveness and wanted to create a targeted and proportionate code. It said that it will be taking forward some of the changes and in particular it will be taking changes forward in relation to internal controls. Uh, we don't yet know quite what the scope of those changes will be. Uh, we know that it proposed um, to make 
changes to the internal controls provisions in the governance code to strengthen the current reporting requirements. So it had proposed that the board would be required to make a declaration on the effectiveness of their internal controls procedures, to give an explanation for the basis of that declaration and to describe any material weaknesses that it had identified during that review process. Uh, and also that the guidance um, that it uh, created to support uh, the code would be amended to uh, set out how to report against these new requirements um, and also to, identify, to help identify what a material weakness might be. But that's what it proposed in May. So we don't yet know quite how the final uh, changes will look. The FRC has said that it will uh, be publishing its final changes in uh, January next year, January 2024. And we're expecting the revised code to apply to accounting periods commencing on or after the 1 of January 2025. In terms of when AGRA itself will be um, created, as I say, the government says it's still committed to its creation, but we have now sort of effectively run out of parliamentary time before the next general election because you've had the final King's speech. So we will just wait to see what happens after the general election and what any future um, government may choose to do. So I think uh, for this podcast, sort of audit and corporate governance reform feels a bit like the odd one out. Um, we sort of think we knew where we were going and we thought we had a clear um uh, journey forward but it seems that we've sort of somewhat hit an obstacle and things are not quite where we expect them to be this time six months ago. Thanks Isabel an interesting U-turn well, I don't know what you want to call it it's carving back of, of their proposals at least but um, it'll be interesting to see where we end up on that one when we come back in six months time. Um, Finally, Sarah, should we come back to you uh, again? Another thing we've talked about in previous episodes is the listing regime. We've seen significant development on this and thankfully, unlike Isabel's uh, corporate governance consultation, it's still moving in the same direction. So do you want to talk us through what we have seen, please? Yes, thanks, Antonia. So on the 20th of December, the FCA published it, the draft of most of the brand new UK listing rules. And what these rules are going to do is implement a radical restructuring of the UK listing regime. So we're talking here about consultation paper 2331. Now, while the genesis of these rule changes is the desire to attract more companies to list in London, the changes will, of course, have a significant impact on existing listing companies, not least because the FCA are rewriting massive chunks of the rule book. Now, look, again, I won't go back over all of the background and the Hill Review and take you all back to 2020 because we've covered that topic in our last couple of episodes. We'll just dive straight into what the draft rules look like and, and what they will do. So the FCA is implementing a true new single listing segment and the new segment will be called equity shares in commercial companies. So we're shortening it to ESCC and that will replace the current premium and standard segments. And with it will come just one set of continuing obligations for normal commercial companies. So proceeding with most of its trailed proposals from its May consultation paper as part of this new UK listing regime, Shareholder votes will no longer be required for significant or you know, class one transactions. So that's those which are worth 25 percent or more of the listed company on, on certain metrics. Shareholder votes will no longer be required for related party transactions. So, again, those are transactions by a listed company with a party related to it. So substantial shareholder, co-joint venturer, that kind of thing. If those trip over five percent on those same metrics, currently a shareholder vote would be required. That will not be the case once these new rules are in force. A modified sponsor regime will apply and remain the absolute cornerstone of investor and market protection. 
Relationship agreements will remain mandatory if you're a listed company with a controlling shareholder. So that's a shareholder with broadly 30 percent plus. And there'll be significant changes to the eligibility requirements for new IPO candidates, moving to a, a disclosure based rather than rules based regime. Now, the changes will rely overall on greater market disclosure. And so it puts the onus back on investors to do their due diligence and, and decide whether they want to stay invested in companies. Now, CP2331 also includes the FCA's plans for investment funds, SPACs and overseas issuers with a secondary listing here in London. But it's only their plans, no draft rules. So following this consultation paper, the FCA has said it will publish a second paper containing those other draft rules for these other share categories uh, and the remaining rules that are outstanding for all issuers, which actually includes the new draft listing principles um, in Q1 2024. Now, the FCA says it intends that all premium listed commercial companies will be automatically migrated to this new commercial companies category. Existing standard companies will be migrated to a new transition category. Now, that will have the same lower level of continuing obligations as a current standard listing. And that segment will be closed to new listings. So no new applicants for that one. But existing standard listed companies can remain there with no present fixed end date or they can make a streamlined application to join the new commercial companies category you know, when they're ready to do so. Now, FTSE Russell, which maintains the FTSE indices, has said it is carefully reviewing the FCA's plans and will provide an update on what it means for index inclusion also in Q1 2024. So very important for companies in considering what they do with the new regime, what attitude the index providers will take to these new rules. The FCA has then said following this consultation, which closes on the 16th of February 24 for the sponsor rule changes and then the 22nd of March 24 for the rest, it expects to publish the final rules at the start of the second half of 2024 with a very short window, just two weeks between publication and them coming into force. So, look, what do we think of these new rules? Well, um, in our view, I think it is positive to see that the FCA is sticking to its guns, uh, pressing ahead with the full implementation of its bold package of reforms. I mean, these reforms are going to dramatically scale back those aspects of the UK listing regime that were seen as uncompetitive as compared to other listing venues. I mean, the, the FCA really has gone as, as far as it could, I think, to reset the UK's listing framework with that disclosure piece really now taking centre stage rather than shareholder votes or, or strict eligibility criteria. Now, investors will inevitably face some more risks here, but encouraging more vibrant public markets, improving returns for savers and pensioners has got to be more important than over-regulation, which has resulted, arguably, uh, in the slow decline of the UK's equity markets. The next stage then is for the government to press ahead with its broader attempts to try and jumpstart the UK's investment culture, which, of course, will be an even bigger influence and, and impact than the FCA's new rules. So, look, I'm sure we'll be talking about it in our next podcast edition. Hopefully we might have seen the new rules by then. Um, but otherwise, that's all I was going to say. Thanks, Antonia. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, so quite a lot to look forward to for 2024 and quite a lot of work for us and other listed company practitioners to work on as well. But thank you, Sarah and Isabel, for that roundup. Really helpful. And uh, thank you too to our listeners. We hope you found the podcast helpful and we'd really welcome any feedback you have on it. 
if you need or want to see any further detail on any of these topics or want to keep track of them as they develop, and as you've heard today, there will be quite a few more developments to, to keep track of, do go to our Herbert Smith Freehills Corporate Notes blog. Otherwise, we look forward to you joining us again in six months' time when we give our next roundup. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>